This is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas and other scenarios, local, national, international, and otherwise, that catch our eye. Nothing's off the table here. We offer you insights and perspectives on sticky situations so that you can scrutinize your choices and exercise your own ethical muscles. And by we, I mean the three of us. I'm your host, Marna Ashburn, here with wife, mother, and attorney, Kelly Halligan-Zimmerman. Good morning, Kelly. Morning, Marna. Morning, Mike. And Mike Derrick, a retired Army officer, combat vet, and father of four. Hello, Mike. Hey, good morning, Marna, and good morning, Kelly, and good morning to all our listeners. Thanks for joining us today. By the way, we always love to hear from you about what we're talking about today or whatever's on your mind. Send us your comments and ideas at inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com. This podcast will be posted on June 2nd, so you're probably listening to it then or maybe later. Typically, we post new episodes on the first and third Wednesdays of the month. Last month, because May is, well, you know, May, one of the busiest months of the year, the other being December, and both months always leave me flattened even when I try to prepare for them. So we only did one episode last month, the one on funeral etiquette and comforting the bereaved. I thought it was very good. But we're back to our two episodes a month schedule, now at least until our summer hiatus. So here we are on a day that's just about equidistant from Mother's Day on May 9th and Father's Day on June 20th. I thought it would be fun to pay homage to our parents with a show called My Mom or Dad Always Used to Tell Me dot dot dot. That is to say, the truisms and lessons we frequently heard from them as we were growing up that we tucked into our pockets and which slowly became part of our character education. It's amazing how useful and enduring and handy they have been through the years. After all, a truism becomes a truism because it's true, right? So I'll start with something my dad always used to say. By the way, happy Father's Day, Dad. He used to say, there's no free lunch. Now, that seemed kind of jaded to me, especially when I would come to him with this really exciting idea. And I can do this and this and blah, blah, and it won't cost me any money, and I'll make money. And he'd just sit there and go, there's no free lunch. And the corollary to that is usually, if something sounds too good to be true, it usually is. I don't know how many times I've used that in my life. Does this sound too good to be true? Hmm, maybe it is. Has that ever happened to either one of you? It's funny. That's where you started with your father, because I think that's that's the approach both my parents took. You know, they both came out of uh, tough, poor childhoods, and um, they knew the value of a dollar. They even knew the value of a dime. You just didn't throw money around. You, you saved. You, um, you know, you both saved and didn't spend. <laughs> and uh, those are different in their minds, I think. And and you invested. You know, you wasn't always like, you know, stocks and bonds and that kind of thing. You invested in in real estate. You invested in education. But you could only do that if you saved and spent. So, or pardon me, saved and did not spend. So um, I hear what your dad's saying. Yeah, I remember he lectured me pretty intensely right when I was graduating from college and I was getting ready to take on this big car loan because, you know, we were lieutenants in the Army. Everybody had nice cars. and I They were I, offering you free money. Oh, right yeah. Now. Yes, they Wasn't were. it free money? That's what they told me. It was me. free, yeah. <laughs> yeah, free. And uh, he said, that doesn't sound like a good idea, Marna. You're going to get behind the eight ball right away. 
So that's when he uh, mentioned in another podcast, he bought me a used car that cost $750, <laughs> which I drove for a few wow. months. <laughs> that sounds like me, too. Jeez. <laughs> All my friends were driving Camaros and yeah. Firebirds, and I showed up with the 10-year-old Subaru station wagon. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> Matter of fact, when I, met, when I met my wife, she made so much fun of me. Like, I can't believe you drove that beat-up old Subaru station wagon. Was this a hand-me-down from your parents? Thinking? No, it was off a used car lot, you know, which, yeah. Which, oh, really? So you actually oh, yeah, bought that? My father helped me find. <laughs> <laughs> Hadn't thought of that, Marna. Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. What would you like to tell us about what your dad so one says? one I, I thought of that is just so typical of him is he, he, he was an educator. So he, um, he ended up, he, he didn't read until he was in the fourth grade because no one knew he needed glasses. So he couldn't see anything until he was in the fourth grade. Yeah, isn't wow. that amazing? He didn't read until yeah. he was in the fourth grade? No, nope. Nobody picked up nope. on that? My father was kind of raised in what I would describe as benign neglect, you know? He it was not a—it was the Depression, but his family wasn't desperately poor. But he just kind of ran the neighborhood— and he had all these people, you know, pa- other parents who looked after him. But when, you know, no, like nobody paid attention to him in school. And so somewhere in the fourth grade, I don't know how it happened, but somebody said, hey, I, I think this kid can't see the blackboard and can't read his books. And so they got him glasses and all of a sudden he began to read. So, yeah. The and parted. then just to loop to the other end of his life he ended up getting his doctorate so you know quite a quite a trajectory but my father used to always say to me don't let your schooling get in the way of your education so he believed that everything offered some sort of educational value every experience every you know good useful experience and um and he would find things that he thought would be useful for us. And um, it used to drive my mother crazy because she was very, very, she was more cost-focused. So if you had something in hand and you didn't, like, use it, and the best example there was I, when I graduated from high school, I had a scholarship to go to college. And um, my mother was really, really excited about that because that meant she didn't have to pay for her older son to go to college, oldest son to go to college. My father arranged for me to take a gap year in France, and my mother was, I mean, she gritted her teeth and said, okay, but she was not happy. But oh, it was yeah, a great, it's, it's, great experience. It's, I've yeah, heard from you through the life. years. I mean, you know, I still yeah. got, try to go to France every couple of years and have friends there and I I maintained the language and so but boy did it drive my mother crazy but my father was insistent he said we can't let we can't let his schooling get in the way of his his education I competed for the scholarship again and then my mother was happy too so and did you get it the second time yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) went to West Point went to West Point yep right (laughs) that scholarship yeah which came with a price tag by the way so <laughs> we're marching for uh, what is it marching for free education and you yeah. have a rucksack on that's yeah. right my um upbringing we the big family and very modest means and sometimes we were barely middle class but i like to say we were very privileged because my parents 
even within their modest means, always exposed us to lots of educational uh, and cultural stuff, free concerts and museums and exhibits and things like that, and, and travel. They both had very high expectations for all of us academically. So in that respect, we were very privileged, even though we didn't have much money. So I hear you. Not That's... like your dad. See, this, you're making me think of all these things, you guys, that uh, I hadn't thought of. But one of the things I've got written, written down about my mother is you never wasted food in our house. Ever, ever, ever. I mean, we ate leftovers constantly. We ate leftovers of leftovers. Um, which, you know. <laughs> made into soup. That's what happened <laughs> at our right. house. <laughs> there were some questionable looking things that went into that soup pot, I'll tell you that. Yes. Much. Don't ask. But when it came, just like your folks, Marna, when it came to exposing us to things, I, I just thought of this as you were talking, you know. We used, Saratoga has a uh, remarkable um, uh, public arts center or performing arts center. And uh, during the summer, the many of the major um, arts organizations like the New York Philharmonic and the New York Ballet. So we would go to Saratoga when I was little and, you know, watch ballet, for example. But we would sit on the lawn, the lawn seats, which meant we were way, 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 way back, and we would bring our own food. So we never could buy anything. But nonetheless, I got to watch people like... um, uh, Mikhail Baryshnikov dance and Rudolf Nureyev dance, um, you know, which are, wow. yeah, which That's are names, memorable. which now sort of they're, you know, they're icons in the worlds of ballet, in the world sure. of ballet. But we did it eating, you know, uh, peanut butter sandwiches on, on perhaps, <laughs> perhaps stale bread. Yes. So perhaps, yeah, <laughs> the yeah. heel for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Don't throw the heel away. Yeah. Kelly, I've met your dad. Uh, he's close to being a force of nature. He must have had some useful sayings throughout your childhood. He did. He he had very high expectations, as your parents did. He had his sayings were more like Yogi Berra. His sayings were kind of silly. Like one of his big ones was "Never trust a blinker." <laughs> Never trust a blinker. Never trust a blinker. Which which came in handy, really, actually. You know, you're getting ready to make a right turn, and there's somebody coming down the road. They got their right-hand blinker on, and you feel like you can pull out, but they just are driving along with their blinker on. Boom, you got an accident. So another big one, and he still says this sometimes, is if you did it, it would be done already. (laughs) He would say to my sisters and I, well, Mr. Nonsense. If you did it, it would be done already. Okay, thanks, Dad. But he... um, He had very high expectations, and especially about performance, and he gave me a plaque when I was little, um, and I still have it. I have it sitting on my desk, and and he sort of would uh, never say it exactly or as beautifully as the plaque does, but, you know, basically, uh, he would talk about, you know, success being a state of mind um, based on your will and your belief in yourself, so... um, you know, the plaque uh, says, you know, performance where the bottom line begins. And if you think you are beaten, you are. If you think you dare not, you don't. If you like to win, but think you can't, it's almost a cinch you won't. If you think you'll lose, you've lost. For in this world, you'll find success begins with a fellow's will. It's all in the state of mind. So this was in his office? Yeah, no, it was in his office. Um, and then when I was very young, he brought it home and gave it to me, you know, kind of was like, keep this wow, in mind. Wow, that's really sweet. So I was like, okay. 
I guess what I'd say about my dad, he had three daughters, and um, my brother is the youngest. Uh, he was kind of, I guess, you know, they talk about Kobe Bryant being a girl dad. That was my dad. He was a, a girl dad before it was in to be a girl dad. He he loved having girls. He believed we could do anything. Um, he thought women were just as capable or more capable than men. So even though he's now 80, he really instilled in us the belief that we could do anything. Well, that's a wonderful legacy. Yeah, it really, really was. I felt very lucky, you know, that he believed that he felt that way. And um, I think he grew up with a, you know, his sister really raised him and was very successful and just sort of ahead of her time. And I think he just had a very strong uh, belief in women and, and what they could accomplish. You know, he really was somebody that, you know, believed that everybody should have equal opportunity and, you know, women should be able to do exactly what men can do. Um, and he was big in his corporation and hiring women and promoting women. And, you know, he really pushed us to, you know, to succeed and, and not have any limiting beliefs. That's that's great, Kelly. I, I never really broke it down that way, you know, being a girl dad. I don't know where I, why I missed I that. I never thought of it but, either. That's a, that's a beautiful concept. It's a really beautiful concept. Oh, that's wonderful. Both of you sound like you have really amazing dads. Mike, you mentioned something your mother used to say during our last podcast about funeral etiquette when I said I saw a man at a funeral once wearing a baseball hat, and you said your mother would have said he needs some fetching up, or he has some fetching up to do. Yeah, right. No one fetched him up, yeah. So, so she often said that. I don't know where that comes from. Is she from Minnesota? She is, yeah. Norwegian Irish from the Iron Range of Minnesota, so the very northern part of Minnesota. What does that mean, fetching up? I've never heard that before, Mike. No one took time to raise that kid or teach him or her the right thing to do. Poorly raised. You know, not necessarily their fault. Somebody just didn't didn't work on that kid. Makes sense. So... Mike, tell me what else your mom said that sticks in your mind. Yeah, well, as I mentioned a moment ago, you know, my mom, in fact, grew up in extreme poverty. And um, she could stretch a dollar like no one I've ever seen. And that came to every single way in which we were raised. She often, when I was much younger, she would sew her own clothes. And, and she sewed my early clothes she uh when in the kitchen again you didn't nothing went to waste and then she just was absolutely she saved to her at her own expense let's put it that way so i'll just give you an example late in my mother's life when she was approaching 90 and i'd moved back to to where we live now and we, i was close to my mom i i spent a lot of time with her in the last 3 years of her life and eventually um she got to a point and i I took over her finances and you know she was she was a a very well-off woman at that point but I think back to how she approached life like she never had enough and she always would save and economize and so over the course of a lifetime it's really powerful to see what that did but that was her approach to all things and I think it really uh, developed in her kids the ability to appreciate you know both what was very good in life, like going to the Saratoga Performing Arts Center and seeing ballet, but also knowing 
what you didn't need to spend money on and what really didn't bring a return. So very, very wise in that regard. She was very good at saving. Was she able to spend or did she have a poverty mentality? Yeah, only when it was something, you know, a little of both, Marna. When it was something that she valued, like travel. She loved to travel, and she would spend money on travel. Um, I, we were My brother and sister and I were so delighted when we saw our parents late in their lives going on, like, barge cruises in Europe along the canals of, of Europe. Fun. You know? And yeah. uh, getting out every day and walking along the canal or b- riding a bicycle and and coming yeah, to had... visit you wherever you guys were stationed, yeah, right, Alaska, right, Hawaii, right, yeah. <laughs> Germany. Oh, yeah. They loved to travel, so she would spend money on that. But then I'd go visit her, and I'd see the same dinner, same like main meal prepared three different ways in the same week, <laughs> which was okay, because my mother was a great Ground cook. beef. <laughs> she figured out how to do it. Did she grow up in the Depression? She did. Um, her father died when she was four. Her mother died when she was 15. And how my grandmother made it through the Depression as a, a widow with seven children. Seven yeah, children? in the Iron Range of Minnesota when, you know, the mines wow, were... Wow, that's a story. The mines were not, you know, there was not much employment in the mines. I don't know how she did it. That's like one, you know, we've talked about genealogy on this podcast, and I'm, I'm intrigued by not just the names and dates and locations, but like how did people do things? And that's one of the great questions in my mind is how did my grandmother raise her seven kids? I'm curious, and it may be too late to find out the answers. Maybe. Everything my mother did, all the education she got, she paid for herself. Nothing was given to her. Your mom sounds amazing, Mike. She really does. Somebody who was a survivor, but also was able to enjoy life you Mm -hmm. know sometimes Mm -hmm. it's hard to Mm -hmm. reconcile the two she was a remarkable woman so kelly back to your mom yeah um i don't i can't think of a lot of quotes my mom wasn't a real uh quotey person i i would say i learned from my mom more by example and how she treated people and she would say to us, you know, treat others as you want to be treated. She definitely got that across to us. And she was always very kind uh, towards people. So that's really what I learned from her. I don't remember specific quotes or sayings right. from her. Well, modeling is very powerful. Yeah, I think th- as I've gotten older and you read all these different things, particularly about psychology and self-care and all the stuff you see online now modeling and how you're brought up and the examples that you know are in front of you are really critical i totally agree yeah somewhere back in the um i don't know when i was a much younger parent figuring out how how this thing works this parenting thing i read something that said your children will never become what you tell them you want them to become they will become who you are yeah i would say they're the most important thing for sure what what you see your parents doing so my mom used to say i mean i heard this from her many times throughout my life and i think she got it from her grandmother it's very wise advice don't go into business with a friend unless you don't care about the friendship or you don't care about the business occasionally i hear about a, a partnership between friends that that does work out but Usually, it's partnerships that don't work out, and the business fails, and the friendship ends. I used to have a, uh, a company who 
they were helping me landscape the front yard of my house. And it was two guys. One guy did the landscaping and one guy was involved in the um, the mowing service that um, had several customers that they took care of. And one day the, the landscaper came and told me that they had ended their partnership. And I said, was it acrimonious? And he said, yes. They had been good friends before and it just didn't work out. Yeah, that's very complicated and problematic. I don't know. And there's so many family businesses that do well, but it is a lot of togetherness when you think about it. You know, like you're with them at home, you're with them all day at work. I don't know. That's a lot of stress. A lot of dynamics that you've got to deal with. And if your economic well-being is tied up in something that you're working together, and if that starts to suffer, it's going to impact your relationship at home. It can't be any other way. It's kind of nice, I think, when a a couple or a family, you know, have different interests and are doing different things for a living um, for the health of the relationship and then also the health of the family and, and economic well-being. That way, if one person, you know, suffers a job loss or something happens, you, the other person can pick them up. Does your mom have uh, any other words of wisdom, Marna? She used to tell me that writing is... perspiration, 1% inspiration. (laughs) Boy, and you still became a writer. Good for you. Meaning that if you're sitting around waiting for inspiration, that's not going to happen. You got to sit down, put pen to paper and make it happen. That's good. That's good advice for those of us who aspire to be writers, Marna. Thank you. And thanks to your mom. Have you noticed I've quit browbeating you, Mike, about your book? I might start up again. Oh, it's a little scary, Marna. It's like, don't do that. Don't do that. There's another saying that's similar. Don't let the perfect get in the way of the good. I absolutely love that expression. I keep that in mind every day when I work because I I tend to, and it's the same thing with writing. I have to write a lot of emails. I work on contracts. And I tend to, you know, can really get into the details and into the weeds and uh, just, you know, taking my time, being super careful. And And there is a time and place for that. But the best thing to do is just, you know, get that first draft done. Get it. Uh, just try to get that first pass and kind of go through it, get it done, get something out, and then, you know, perfect it from there. Absolutely. When I was teaching writing to college freshmen, my first assignment to them was always, I want you to go home tonight and butcher your first draft. Absolutely butcher it for me. Take the pressure off, you know? Otherwise, you'll sit there panic-stricken, right, just sloppy, butchered, bad. Get her done. And then the funny thing is, though, even these free writes or sloppy copies, it usually yields something very good if you just get it out there. Yeah, that's what I found is it's like the perfect as compared to the good. So I wouldn't say it's sloppy, but, you know, just give it a good effort. But but just get that first draft, get that first pass done. And and I just try to keep that in mind because otherwise I can become frozen with, you know, trying to make things just so. Right. And it doesn't come out the first draft perfectly. That's that's a misconception. <laughs> Never. Yeah. Even if you're trying to be perfect. Any others that you want to share? Either one of you, mom or dad? Well, Mark has one, um, and he's a dad, um, that I like that, that he lives by, and that's plan your work and work your plan. Yeah. <laughs> and he's told that, you know, he's, he's shared that with our kids mm-hmm. and kind of, you know, like when they're They have assignments or things to do. It gets you thinking. Get started, yeah. Mike, your mother-in-law, she has some good ones. Yeah. She's, um, you know, my both my parents have passed away and Kathy's dad has passed away. So she's our 
remaining elder, uh, we like to refer to her as the matriarch, although she hates that, and she lives nearby, and um, so she's a woman who's, uh, you know, led a life both professional and personal and success in both regards, but she she always identified herself as a feminist when I first met her. So she has a couple funny things that Kathy often talks about, and one is that um, her mother told Kathy that if you can read, you can cook. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> so, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> so it was like, why, you know, if if you're a good cook, you're just going to spend time in the kitchen, and that'll get in the way of your career and everything else. So don't learn to cook. And my mother, boy, she took a very different opinion because um, she said, each of my children will know how to clean and they will know how to cook. So when Kathy and I got together, it was quite a contrast. You know, I was, I really enjoyed cooking. <laughs> Kathy, not so much. But to Kathy's credit, she's turned into a great cook. Oh, has she? My memory oh, yeah. of yeah. And all the places that we were stationed together was, was you in the kitchen whipping up something fabulous. Yeah. See, I really enjoy it. I enjoy all aspects of cooking. Kathy's very good in certain slices, like we're going out to dinner tonight. Whenever we go to visit friends, um, it's it's understood that, you know, up here we do potlucks all the time. So what Kathy, what we will bring is bread. Kathy will bake bread because her bread is absolutely incredible. Anyhow, my mother-in-law, if a, if a, well, she would often say, if a woman can read, she can cook. So... Uh, the other thing she said, which is kind of funny, and I'd never heard her say this, but she told this to Kathy when Kathy was much younger. She said, marry a man who is smart and tall. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, I, I get the smart. Why tall? Um, she was tall, okay? She was, uh, you know, she was the kind of, uh, and and then Kathy's tall, so... Um, you never want to be taller than your husband. It's just one of That's those an old things. Fashion, you know? I don't know. Kind of. Uh, yeah. But I, I think women naturally kind of feel that way. I'm tall. I, you know, you, you generally don't want to be with somebody that you're towering over. But I would say smart and with a right. backbone. Right. I can live without the tall. That's because you're not tall. <laughs> I know. Everybody's taller than me. Yeah. I have a big pool. Yeah, you have a much broader choice, Marna. Come on, it's not fair. I just told a friend of mine this weekend that I was 5'4", and she looked at me and she said, I don't think so. <laughs> no, it's true, I am. Oh, no. So your mom says, don't learn to type. Kathy's mom says, don't learn to cook. No cooking, no typing. Is that the secret to success yeah. in life? Well, it was back then. Well, you got to think about the context. You know, my mom just didn't want me to become a secretary, and she felt that that's what would happen to women. I mean, remember, like, Sandra Day O'Connor, I mean, obviously, she's older than me, but she graduated first in her class at Stanford when she graduated from law school, and she had no job offers. The only job offer was as a secretary. Wow. And what yeah. year was that? Maybe the 50s. Yeah. Sounds like um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg couldn't get a job at a top-flight New York law firm and went to Rutgers and taught in the law department because... Nobody wanted to hire a woman. Yeah. And all their classmates who didn't do as well as they did, they were all hired. Big firms, big money. So that's why I didn't learn to type. I did learn to type. I was a wicked fast typist. Serves me well now. 
Okay, slight pivot here. I know that you guys are totally unprepared for this because I didn't tell you. What's something that you tell your children? Like if I were to ask them 20 years hence, what did your mom always say? Aaron or Bobby or Kate or Will? What did your dad say? <laughs> what would oh, they I say? I like that Kelly? one. Well, I think their dad, they would, they would mention plan your work and work your plan. For me, hopefully be kind. I mean, we really have, you know, emphasized be kind, work hard, be respectful. One of the things I say, which I think annoys the kids, is the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. That's a good one. Yeah, because we all get in this rut or, you know, things are going a certain way and I talk to the kids and they're like, I got it. You know, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'm on it. Wait a minute. We've been doing the same thing now for a while. (laughs) How's that working out? (laughs) Going to apply that one today, Kelly. Thank you very much. Mike, I'm going to put you on the spot. At one point in time, we had four teenagers at the same time for about a year and a half. So yeah, yeah. And and there were some, there were some uh, moments which were uh, difficult, let's say, when children didn't do what you might expect they should do. We found ourselves when kids would go out saying, all right, make good decisions. And it was kind of this, you know, this parting word like, okay, I better not get a call from the school or somebody worse. At one point, our oldest son, who's very, very uh, quick and he's He's funny. He looks at us. And he was one of the prime offenders in terms of misbehavior, although he's turned into a remarkable young man, I must add. And he goes, Mom, that is so negative. You just can't tell me to make good decisions every time I walk out of this house. And so then Kathy changed it to have fun and make good decisions. So that's now kind of become <laughs> kind of become a family joke. Now that they're in their late 20s, <laughs> with the intonation, have fun <laughs> have and fun. make good I decisions. I like that, and make good decisions, yes. <laughs> so uh, I don't think our listeners know this, but my oldest and Mike's oldest went to preschool together at West Point. I know where this is going. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I had a conference with a preschool teacher, and she said, I wonder if you could talk to Elena about not copying Ryan, because... She does the naughty things that he does. (laughs) I talked to her, and a few days after that, she said, Mom, I try not to copy Ryan, but I just can't help it. He also has a magnetic personality, so I can can sympathize with Elena. You know, it's probably probably hard to resist misbehaving with Ryan Derrick. He is. He is. Yeah. He's a leader. Ryan was her partner in crime, and she blamed him. That's cute. So I didn't chime in on what I think my children will say about me. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I should have asked. Well, one thing is I think they'll remember that we were always in the kitchen cooking together. (laughs) Don't tell Kathy's (laughs) mother. That was what we did. We all cooked together. Dinners were always more like conversations that happened to have food between us. The one I I hope they remember is start somewhere but start. That kind of goes with um, perfect is the enemy of the good. You get so so scared of starting you don't know where to start you're overwhelmed and i would always say well just wait in there and start start somewhere otherwise you're just stuck and then it just gets worse because you're anxious and you're like i gotta do this and oh uh, yeah it just never happens it's like me writing papers in college yeah me too start somewhere butcher that first draft i usually started like the day before at like five o'clock and then i'd end up being up all night 
Me too. And that was one of the motivations when I started teaching was to demystify the the draft writing process for my students so they could start somewhere but start. Yeah. And requiring the rough draft or the butcher draft, that's a great way to do it. Because I don't remember that happening when I was in college and law school. I just remember, you know, the paper was due on X date and it was 40% of the grade or 50% of the grade. Yeah. Well, this was fun. I enjoyed hearing about your parents' wisdom, having met all of your parents at some point in the last 30 years. Yeah, Yeah, that was fun. I loved hearing about your folks and and in-laws. Great stories. I think, Marna, it might be fun to put up some of Yogi Berra's sayings. He's got some great ones. Maybe we could put them up on the website. Sure. I keep a couple in mind because they make yeah, you Yeah, well, give us a few right now. We'll end on that. When you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> you can observe a lot by just watching. It ain't over till it's over. No one goes there nowadays. It's too crowded. <laughs> Pair up in threes. You've got to be very careful if you don't know where you are going because you might not get there. <laughs> and I'll do the last one. Uh, the future ain't what it used to be. Oh, Those are great. Gotta love them. Let's keep the conversation going. Let us know your thoughts and ideas. Our email address is inbox at ethicsandetiquette.com. You can also leave a comment or voicemail at our website, www.ethicsandetiquette.com. Our Instagram is at ethicsetiquette, and we're on Facebook, Ethics and Etiquette. If you want to support what we're doing, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd really appreciate it. For Kelly Halligan Zimmerman and Mike Derrick, I'm Marna Ashburn, and this is Ethics and Etiquette, a thought-provoking dialogue about everyday dilemmas. Thanks for being with us today, and please join us again. New episodes are posted on the first and third Wednesdays of every month. See you then.